Welcome to episode 112 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And I don't want to start the show by calling out specifically. It's not what I mean. But I believe <laughs> uh-huh. believe that last week we talked about the Mariners and there was some discrepancy over the degree of concern that perhaps the Blue Jays should have about this team. And since that time, I don't believe they have lost. And now, I don't know if this is a vibe check. It's a bit of an odd time for a vibe check because we're actually recording pre-game here, letting guys behind the curtain. But maybe just a mini vibe check on the Blue Jays-Mariners race, which is, I mean, hasn't changed in a profound sense because the Blue Jays have been winning as well, but uh, maybe has a slightly different tenor than it did when we last well, spoke. <laughs> well, no, you see what I what I meant at the time was... Uh, that's where the Astros uh, that are in the race with the Blue Jays. The Mariners are clearly going to win the, the LA, or the ALS. Uh, they did actually just literally uh, lose in ten innings to the White Sox. Uh, everybody's <laughs> everybody's favorite uh, best run franchise, the White Sox. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, again, I'll, I'll say what I probably said last time, or some of what I said, maybe not all of it, uh, which is that uh, you know, yeah, every team's going to look really good when they're you know they look unbeatable. Um, they'll come back to, back to earth. They, they lost another one here because they uh, perhaps did not have a closer, which they <laughs> traded away at the deadline, and and uh, it, because the people who are, have skin in the game kind of gave up on that team a little bit. And uh, you know what? I trust them. I trust them that this is probably uh, you know the team clearly playing over its head, and uh, they'll fall back to earth. And uh, I'm still not super <laughs> worried about them. Really not. Really? I mean, I, I guess, like you said, it is very <laughs> easy when a team is play, is putting together a very strong record uh, when they are playing their best baseball of the season. And, it you know, that's kind of what the Mariners are doing now. It is easy to overreact to that. But at the same time, you know, I, I keep looking at this lineup <laughs> and I keep looking at these starting pitchers. You know, this is a I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the Mariners have a decent chance of being the 2021 Blue Jays where they come on at the end and it's ultimately not enough because they kind of screwed themselves at the beginning. And like you said, they even traded out of their own bullpen. I referenced on last week's episode that they have both Taylor Saucedo and Trent Thornton in their active bullpen. And according to uh, roster resource here, they are not the worst pitchers in the bullpen in terms of pecking order. So it's not like this is an unbeatable team. It's not like it's a team that's as good as, as it's looked. But man, that you know the Julio Rodriguez superstar turn, the starting pitching they have, the very very back of that bullpen. It is, uh, yeah, they're they're a real team. Like it's, you can have teams that hang around a wild card race, and they're not really real teams. Like if the Blue Jays and Red Sox, you know, the Red Sox are a team that at for a while they were kind of in the mix, but I never believed they were a thing. This team is a little bit easier to believe in than a Red Sox or even in the NL, like a Cubs or a Diamondbacks type squad. Yeah. I mean, begrudgingly, I can, I can acknowledge that, but uh, still not super worried. Again, it's the Astros and the Blue Jays that are really, that are in the race because the Mariners are going to chase them down. And that's good anyway, because the Jays have that uh, tiebreaker over Houston. So So it's nothing to worry about. It's the team that got Justin Verlander at the deadline. That's the one that's going to fall off down the stretch. Yeah. How old is he? What, you know, (laughs) That's gonna have the wheels have to fall off at some point for one of those teams. No, I, you know, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right about the Red Sox and and the Cubs and how the Mariners are are perhaps more of a real team than they are. Um, but uh, you know, help me out. I'm trying to manifest here. I mean, you could also put the Rangers right in that mix, right? Like the Rangers are barely up in this division. There's a scenario where the Rangers fall 
all the way from leading the division out of the playoffs entirely. And the Blue Jays could theoretically help make that happen. Uh, again, we've talked about before, like it, it is a little bit early to be doing all of the scoreboard watching. And I think people are in large part just because things are so damn close. Like it's just one game, two games. So you watch a game and you're like, oh, they fell behind or they took the spot back when it's more like three games or two and a half. It doesn't feel as consequential, even though it's equally consequential. Um, so I, I get that component of it, but it, it'll be interesting that I think people will be uh, maybe watching a little bit more of the sort of like highlight shows than they would have done. You know, the, the kind of archaic thing of waking up and putting on a Sportsnet TSN and seeing what happened on the West Coast the previous night, because it looks like they got three teams here that Blue Jays fans might be taking an interest in. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's probably a lot of what, uh, I mean, obviously it was mostly to do with the, the, <laughs> the extra money from the TV deals in the playoffs, but like expanding the postseason, that was definitely always going to be a consequence of it, that uh, that there could be uh, wide open races and more interesting races. We haven't necessarily, we didn't necessarily see that last year. Uh, it's, it's not always going to be that way. There will be years when it's more cut and dried, but yeah, I mean, that, this is fun. Embrace it. I, the scoreboard watching is early. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Get all get all passionate. Get all worked up. Um, but yeah, the Mariners. I don't know. I I, I still I trust their I trust their first you know a hundred games more than I trust their last sixteen or whatever the hell the numbers actually are. That's fair. That is fair. Although I don't. Whatever. We don't need to do too much more Mariners content. <laughs> I'm trying to not be worried about the Mariners. They underachieved early on. Yada yada. Teoscar Hernandez is back in a big way. Let's not. We won't talk about Teoscar Hernandez. I do want to talk about sort of your man of the hour here. And as we record, that's Brandon Belt uh, coming off that huge home run on Tuesday night that helped put them over the top. He's just been, I don't know, it's funny because you know, a lot of the season we've talked about, oh, yeah, the numbers are good, but it's not convincing. He's striking out a ton. He's doing wild BABIP things. Like, he just seemed likely to fall apart at a certain point. He just didn't look good doing it. And like, you know, I, I kind of called you out for something you said earlier in the op- <laughs> podcast. I'm going to call myself out here. There was a podcast where there was a point where I, sell, I said I was more confident in what Dalton Varsha would do offensively for the rest of the year than Brandon Belt. And that could not have been more wrong. And, you know, Dalton Varsho, we'll talk about him too. He's looking good. But it is weird to see this guy like look like the Jays' best hitter right now. He's got the best <laughs> WRC plus on the Blue Jays. It's 135. He's got a 962 OPS in the second half. The strikeout rate at 28.6, which, you know, it's still not nothing. But it's not in that crazy, like, you have to be joey gallo or everything off your bats an absolute rocket to make that profile make sense like there are guys especially if you walk the way that he walks strikes out at that rate that's kind of what he did in 2021 he was still really good then what is the level of faith that we're looking at someone who is more like that 2020 21 guy who we we kind of dreamed on coming off that injury but i'm not sure anyone really believed the blue Blue jays were going to see yeah, no, I, I think that, well, your piece on it was, was excellent. I know it's something you've been monitoring all year, and, and, and obviously you seem like you're 
uh, feeling good about the way that the 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 ISO has gone up as the strikeout rate has gone down. It's really you know the that was a stark uh, graphic that you uh, included in uh, in the piece to show you know just how those have diverged and how you know when he <laughs> you know breaking up the season into thirds and which we are the miserable start and then the the part where uh, probably when you were talking about the Varsho uh, thing <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. where it looked like it looked like you know it was just unsustainable and there was a lot of bad luck in there and. There was, uh, you know, not a ton of hard hit balls and all those things that we, we you know, worried about uh, when he was, you know, at that point, even being one of the few guys who was really hitting for this club. Uh, but now, yeah, it, it's it's been a really good run. I, you know, I don't know how long I believe it's going to last, but uh, but like you say, he's a guy who's done this kind of thing before. If he's, and that gives you more confidence, I think, in, in believing that somebody can do that sort of thing again. Like he's done it at that level, at this level. Um so yeah, it it feels weird, especially well, you know, we know we don't need to belabor the Vlad thing, which is you know obviously what the fuck, but uh, but you know to see to see Brandon Belt penciled in where he is in the lineup, um, but it's working and it's worked, and and having that lefty there has been good, and uh, you know it certainly doesn't hurt that uh, uh, the dimensions of Baltimore's park for a guy like that or Cincinnati's. Um, yeah, it's it, it's been real fun to watch, and he is a, a fun guy, and you know, in, in particular. But uh, yeah, we're down to the we're down to the part where we're not really so concerned about who's having fun. It's like let's win some games, and he's been really instrumental. Yeah, uh, into it, confident. Yeah, I think that with him, there's always that component of you know this guy doesn't absolutely scorch the ball. Like he he kind of has that. And I'm going to say like the good Kevin Biggio factor, like I'm thinking when Kevin Biggio arrived as a rookie in 2019, and you could even say more recent Kevin Biggio, which has been pretty damn good, actually, mm-hmm. um, where it's like, OK, he strikes out a fair amount. And when he hits the ball, those balls aren't massive. And like, you know, some of the home runs he's hit recently have not been, you know, the one on one on Tuesday was pretty good, but. They sure. haven't all been like these absolute bombs. Like it's not like what, you know, the best version of Springer or Vladdy does. Like he is reliant on taking these walks and he's kind of reliant on putting these balls in the right places. But he's sort of done that for most of his career. Like he's got a career bab up of 323. Like he has, you know, that, that sweet spot stat came up with him because in the middle of his sort of yeah. weird part, it was always like, how the hell is he doing it? And part <laughs> of it was that, you know, he doesn't pound the ball into the ground and he doesn't really hit those like super high fly balls that don't go anywhere. He kind of keeps it in the range that you want it to be. And like, again, I'm not, you know, I don't think anyone's going out on a limb and saying Brandon Belt is the Blue Jays best hitter. It's more, you know, it's a bit of a sad story that he's being the Blue Jays best hitter. I don't Uh know if he projects to be the Blue Jays best hitter. But I think at this point, it's probably fair to say that he projects to be a meaningful left-handed bat in the middle of the lineup. And I, you know, I was skeptical that he would ever be that when he signed, even though I was a little bit more bullish on that than some people, just based on how great he'd been in 2020 and 2021. But, you know, the, and it, to be fair, he hasn't quite been like a 2020. He was like an MVP candidate on raw offense, and he's not been that. Um, but he's shown enough in the last, yeah, last sort of six weeks type deal where you're feeling a little different. And I thought one big moment on Tuesday was when he got left in, I'm not sure, yeah. the inning, the seventh inning perhaps? But they, let him face a, they let him face a lefty, yeah. Yeah, they let him face a lefty. And I think that part of the rationale there wasn't even necessarily like he's going to do something against this lefty because his his numbers against lefties, he hasn't faced them, to be fair. 
But his numbers against lefties this year are trash, right? Like he's got a 579 OPS against left-handers. There's a reason they use him the way they use him. But I think the thought was, you know, this taking him out of the lineup in a close game is something we really, really don't want to do unless we feel like we have to do it. And in that moment, John Schneider felt, I think, that, you know what, this is probably an out, but we'll take, you know, we'll do this over our kind of decent-ish pinch hitting options because it's not a huge, huge spot compared to what we might see later. And obviously, it's easy to say that he had foresight that way when it worked out, but it did work out. And, uh, you know, that's I thought that was a very interesting moment in the Brandon Belt arc because there's just no way that happens earlier in the season. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, part of that's also the composition of the Orioles bullpen and thinking that spot's going to maybe come around again, obviously, which it did, uh, you know, more, you know, probably not going to see a lefty again um and yeah no i that that was that was well done i mean uh, everybody <laughs> that's not everybody but man there's a lot of weird john schneider hate out there i i, I keep seeing because i keep seeing that trending john schneider uh tab on my twitter and i'm just like really what is what what are people mad about this time and it's always something and that makes sense but it's always something uh but yeah i think that was a great spot uh you know uh, where you know you do feel i mean partly that's also because they didn't go out and get a big right-handed bat at the trade deadline and maybe that would have been a different move had they actually you know completed this roster in the way that it probably deserves to be but uh but yeah obviously worked out extremely well and uh and you know, good good for them for being confident and feeling that the belt can contribute i mean he's he's shown why he's you know for however long this is going to last uh you know i don't know if it'll be like the last couple of weeks or the last however many handfuls of at bats uh you know forever but uh but yeah like i i agree with you like it feels like that's a uh useful left-handed bat in the middle of the order in those games where you're facing a right-handed starter um and a pinch hitter as well. Like it's, uh, it is, it has worked out, uh, about as well as it really could have, I think, uh, which is just a wild thing to say, considering, you know, we were Jared Saltalamakia ing him yeah, <laughs> early no, he, in the season. He like, looked, yeah, kind of, and it is sort of, uh, it's a humility reminder in terms of eye test. Cause I think, you know, even you or I, who might be a little bit more cautious than kind of some of the more knee jerk Twitter personalities. And I spoke to other people about it too, people I consider to be reasonable people. And like, yeah, a lot of people thought that he just looked washed. And and he I, I thought that too. And it just it just simply is not the case. You know, am I looking to re-sign him after the season to a multi-year extension if I'm the Blue Jays? I don't <laughs> no. know about that. But no. uh but he's clearly not washed, right? Like the proof is in the pudding in terms of what he's produced. And then you know, even if he really struggles from here on out. The Blue Jays will have gotten good value on his contract the same way they got good value on the Kiermaier contract, even if he pretty much doesn't produce anything offensively in the next, you know, four or five weeks. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's also, uh, you know, I, I'm not advocating. Well, you just got to listen to the team because they know better than us. I mean, than that, then you know, the entire media is out of the job. Uh, but it is perhaps a, an instance where, you know, they, he wouldn't say that he was dealing with something in spring, but he did have very few at-bats. He was like, oh, it won't take me long, but he did have the knee injury. Uh, and to their credit, I think, they, they let him sort of go through that and, and take the amount of time that it was that was needed and didn't, you know, hit the panic button. Though there were games where he, you know, where they were facing right-handers at one point where he wasn't starting and it kind of looked like, okay, maybe uh, – uh, maybe this is coming to a head at some point, but uh, fortunately, 
before it really had to, uh, he managed to start to turn things around and it's turned into a really nice season, which, uh, you know, that, that can happen. Sometimes guys look terrible and, uh, Paul DeYoung hits a, hits a home run and makes a web gem in his first game with the Giants. I mean, he's a hell of a player. You know, <laughs> really this, is. this is a guy who's, you know, good for 15 home runs and gold glove defense. What are you doing? That's, that's so, correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other guy, yeah, that we briefly touched on there in our discussion of lefty bats is Dalton Varsho, who is also, uh, he's having a nice little stretch here. He's got a 186 WRC plus as we record over those last 16 games. Strikeout rate below 20% over that span. Strikeouts are always a big metric with him as someone who struggles to make contact sometimes. You know, four home runs. We're hearing a lot on the broadcast about him adding a toe tap, which is interesting because I looked into it today and I found this article from Arden Zwelling about like, and the, the, the headline is literally how a swing adjustment unlocked Dalton Varsho's power, which again, he's had a couple spikes this year when he's looked pretty good. And I suspect this is when I said he would be better than Belt. Uh, was in the midst of one of those. Um, but it, at one point in the article, it just says, it turns out it was actually what he wasn't doing. There's no toe tap in his swing, only a small leg kick. So, you know, in May, he gets rid of the toe tap and he does a leg kick. And then today he's adding the toe tap back in. And I know this is a part where neither of us are would claim to be incredible swing mechanic experts, but... I would again, you know, again, you know, the belt thing is a is another lesson to be a little bit cautious with those. We know exactly what's going on at any given time. Varsho seems like a guy who tinkers and what he's tinkered with right now is working. The results are great. It's great for a guy to have the ability to build confidence. I think that, you know, he's someone who you feel safe saying will be better in the rest of the season than he was in the first part of the season. But also that isn't saying too much. Uh, so <laughs> nope. where's the confidence level with Varsho right now yeah I'm with you on that as as usual uh because you're right I mean any I think he absolutely is a guy that tinkers I don't know if that's you know if he I feel like he comes about it honestly based on my re- recollection of you know his dad on the radio being like yeah he changed this and, and went back to what he was doing a couple of years ago because he sucked against left-handed pitching or whatever you know telling Blair and Barker that way earlier in the season and yeah we've seen that tinkering that's sort of uh, you know, it's good for him that he's found something that's working, even if it's something that he was kind of doing before, even if it, that's not necessarily uh, exactly what it was before. Um, but, you know, you would like to see the response times be a little bit faster if the league does adjust and figure out something about what, you know, what he's doing now that uh, makes him a little more vulnerable. Um, but, yeah, we'll, you'll take it while you can. And obviously there is, and he's shown in the past, more in there. Uh there's more power certainly in there than he'd shown most of the season uh, and maybe a little more contact as well. And, and, and it is, you know, if you look at his career, cause I know this was this discussion point, you know, going back to when he was acquired, it's like, Oh, you know, do, is he terrible against left-handed pitching? Because he was pretty okay in his first, you know, first year or partial year. And then it went in the tank last year. And is he a platoon guy? We, you know, we're, you know there's lots of, lots of discussion about that. And I think it does speak to the, uh, to the tinkering thing, which I think can be sometimes maybe too much, uh, and and sort of feeds into uh, thing, thoughts I've had lately on the you know the runners in scoring position issue, which is it seems to have been been better lately, maybe not enough to p- make people think that that's just a thing of the past, but you know there's a there's a situation where it's like everybody wants everybody tinkering all the time, and you know you got to do something different, you got to do something, and, and you know which which is I think odd in the first place. I'm on a tangent now, but odd in the first place because 
you're talking about changing from approaches that in another situation, which should just be, you know, you should just go up and hit the, the, the approaches that were working completely fine for them. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that, uh, the the instinct to tinker probably should be a little bit uh you have the brakes pumped on it sometimes um but you know that's uh that's for his agent to figure out i guess and for him to figure out when he wants to get paid but if he's if he's got it working right now uh happy to see it because yeah it has been a real welcome uh addition to the lineup the lineup feels a lot longer than it did for a lot of the season uh because he is a bit of a threat at this point and, and maybe a bit of a threat is even underselling it yeah I mean, the thoughts I have on Varsho, I think a lot of them are on the more unscientific side, so you can take that for what it's worth. But this season, he's actually been sort of fine against lefties. And a lot of, you know, it's a small sample and there's a high BABIP and whatever. A lot of those bunts. Yeah. And a lot of them are bunts, but like that's something he's skilled at and knows how to do, right? Like that's not necessarily a luck component. So I do find myself wondering, like, if this is a guy that is continually tinkering he's in the workshop like maybe and again you know the blue just have a very slim margin for error right now they're in a tight race i understand why they might feel the need to play the matchups as much as they possibly can and i can respect that but it it seems like maybe he is someone who might hunger for that consistency a little bit and maybe playing against lefties a little bit more maybe that would help maybe just not being in and out of the lineup so much having less time to kind of think and adjust because he, he's been better against lefties and righties this year. Again, it's like whatever, small sample, less power, yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying that he's suddenly an amazing player against lefties, but he hasn't totally been useless against them. And maybe giving him a few more of those starts, more of those outings, like, you know, he's not belt where, you know, you know he's 35 and you know where he's at. Like, he's someone that they want to be their starting center fielder of the future. And considering the price they paid for him, they probably don't want him to be a, be a platoon player. So again it's a tough thing to balance at this particular moment maybe it's something to revisit next april but he probably should be seeing more time against lefties yeah i i think that's fair i, I think it's it's probably fair that he wasn't as much throughout most, most of the season just because he wasn't earning his opportunities against lefties by hitting writings uh and you know if he's if he's looking good if he's looking locked in right now then i think you you probably feel more confident going to him even though you know that he doesn't have the platoon uh, advantage there yeah, and that, like you said, him hitting righties probably affects his his playing time against lefties, which is arguably unfair, but it's not as if they're two totally different disciplines. It's not like they probably see him as like he's swinging the bat well or poorly, and if he's swinging the bat poorly, that affects the matchups they want to use him in. But it just is interesting that he's generally survived those matchups this year. Uh, someone who's not survived many matchups at all has been Alec Manoa, who finds himself in a bit of a uh, bizarre limbo right now. I, I liked what you had to say when you wrote about this, but just before we get into that, um, just I'm just going to quote uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith, the a friend of the show, where he said, Manoa didn't immediately report to Buffalo the way players typically do. Instead, he's staying in Toronto at the big league team's blessing while the Blue Jays play on the road in Cincinnati and Baltimore. It seems like they're still figuring out exactly what this looks like. And I, I think, again, I don't want to paraphrase you too much. I'd rather just give it over to you. But it's very easy for people to assume when a player seems to do something you know, at his request and it's atypical and it's something like this, that there's some kind of 
attitude issue or some kind of conflict we're not hearing about. And it doesn't seem like that's necessarily the case here. No, I, I, you know, we don't know. I don't know. And that's what I wrote in the, the piece that you're referring to. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it feels like there's something different going on and that the Jays are, are, you know, as the, as Joe Madden said about Tommy Lustella, the example I used in 2016, you know, giving him space and, and, you know, it has been a real tough season for him. And I, I, you know, I don't want to speculate too much that this is really what it is. Maybe there is some, some contentiousness going on. Um, that's possible, but I think that that, that you probably, it's it's better to give the benefit of the doubt to you know the team and the player on this so that in that you know i mean we've already seen him get demoted all the way to dunedin it's just been a different year and part of that was about the mental side of things and part of that was about getting his mechanics right uh and maybe he's better served going down to the pitching lab or maybe he's better served just shutting it down and and, you know doing his getting his off-season work started or taking some time away from the game and and coming back next year refreshed um, I think those are all completely plausible options. And I think to sort of view it through the lens of like, why isn't he pitching? What on earth is happening? Uh, sort of misses, you know, what's been a real clear story for this, uh, you know, from his season, which is that, you know, just that it's just not working. It's just, it's just not. And it must be, you know, more frustrating than uh, any of us can even imagine. Yeah. There, I, I find there's sort of two ways to think of this. One like, let's say for a second that Ryu has probably earned the last spot in the rotation based on his work. Again, I could still say that as few as many runs as he's keeping off the board, there's still reason to be quasi-pessimistic about that. But he's not someone you'd see as a playoff starter anyway, and we have X number of weeks left, and you've got a good bullpen. If that's the case, and you're sending him down to, say, the pitching lab, and you're not sending him there with a view to bringing him back this season, right? Like if he's not, when he was first sent down, it was like, we're going to demote you. We got to figure out what's going on with you. Let's kind of restart the, this thing and we'll bring you back up. And you know, you're going to be a big part of this team. It's a little different when you're not working towards a specific goal, because if they say, yeah, we're going to send you down just so you can figure it out, but you're not really, you know, you're not really going to come back to the team. Like that's a little bit of a different proposition from Manoa's perspective on the same, at the same time. So like if, if the thing is like, we are confused about where you are and we need to figure it out. There's sort of no reason that can't happen during the off season or spring training, like prior to next year. If, if we really have an eye to 2024, I guess the thing with the blue Jays is they just don't have that good, not that any team has the great sixth sixth starter candidate, but they don't really have a good person to bring up and start a game if one of their guys gets hurt. So having Manoa in, you know, not really throwing the ball and not kind of ready to go could present a difficult competitive situation if one of their guys, you know, has some kind of shoulder injury down the stretch or something like that. And then suddenly you're reaching for a super rusty Manoa or you're going somewhere else in the organization and there really aren't a lot of options there. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that, you know, the, that could have a competitive consequence, but also I think that they, you know, if what's going on is, is more the, is, is more of what we're sort of referring to here, then, you know, you got to get him right for next year. And I think that's, that that probably uh, is fair to take precedence, even though that's, you know, maybe not, 
Uh, maybe not how everyone will view it because obviously, you know, you got to win today and it's all about getting that, the, your hands on that championship trophy when you have the opportunity in front of you. Um, but you know, that's, I think that's just, uh, something that, that they got to deal with. And I also, you know, there are, there are roster machinations that, uh, that will still have to go on. We'll see what happens. I think on September 1st, that might be a, an inflection point. Like, uh, uh, you know, Chad Green's got to find his way on the 60 man or the, the 40 man roster at some point and onto the active roster. Uh, there are a couple of candidates, you know, about Francis in the bullpen right now, but who, you know, who's getting the, uh, the DFA at that point, um, probably candidates as well maybe i don't know even i don't even know how you know if manoa became ineligible uh that how that would work but you know in the listella situation he did he was ineligible for a bit but they still paid him and he you know took some time and did, did report eventually uh and you know that's the you know that i think i don't know i i don't have any problem with that if that's what it is and, and uh, it is they're not making it easier for anyone by not you know, telling anybody what's going on, but you know, maybe maybe there's no reason for anybody to know what's going on. So, uh, it's a bit it, it's a weird situation. It's a situation that obviously needs to be commented on because it's unusual. Uh, it's unusual to just even be in Toronto. It's like you know, you you would think maybe if it were the you know the, he's going the way of sort of shutting down for the season, he would be in Dunedin. He would be at the pitching lab, but not you know hanging around the city and, and, and in a place where people will recognize him as opposed to a place where he can kind of blend into the background. Um, I don't know what that necessarily means and it's you know it's probably pointless to speculate about it but but i think yeah it, it if it's if it's not that you know they're they're willing to deal with something with him in, in a in a different way and uh and you know thinking ahead to the bigger picture if it's not that then yeah there is an issue if it's a if it is going to cost them uh potentially having that layer of depth down the stretch because yeah, it's a really important layer of depth teams really strive to to, to get that you know the blue jays went out and, and traded nick frasso who was a pretty decent prospect well we don't fortunately talk about him as much anymore for mitch white last year just because they needed you know that kind of layer of depth that's it's an important thing so um the my take on it could change completely based on what it actually is but until we know that i don't know what there is more to to say except you know <laughs> to not immediately knee jerk to assuming the worst well mitch white in uh triple a pitched three innings the other good day started the game so maybe uh he's stretching Ooh. out getting ready oh he's, he's throwing a frasso-esque three innings yeah all right um yeah i think the other thing is that the Blue Jays bullpen does have that depth. So if you want to do a bullpen day and then you have to kind of play around with some options and then, you know, bring up a Jay Jackson or Zach Pop or something or Nate Pearson to fill some gaps, you can do that. And I think that's probably the most likely scenario. If something were to happen to one think. of the starters, they'll just figure out how to bend the bullpen around that instant now if that happened on the immediate immediately before you know wild card series started or something like that, there's a there are ways in which that it could work out nastily for the blue jays but i think it's probably not worth delving into that you know that's a very narrow scenario and the reality is like you said we don't know what's going on with manoa and it's the sort of thing where if you you could come down and be like oh why is he not doing something and you find out there's a very good reason and it, it seems silly to walk too far down that road and speaking of silly roads with Manoa, uh, <laughs> our, our buddy, uh, JP Morose, who was on the radio last week, 
And uh, he said this about Alex Manoa. He said about that the Jays phone is going to ring off the season off ring. Uh, the Jays phone is going to ring this off season. People who want Alex Manoa. If you think about the shortage of starting pitching, teams are bereft of starting pitching right now and say, hey, he's better than our fifth starter. And for the opportunity to bring him in, we'd be willing to give up this level of prospect. So, I mean, like, <laughs> fuck. I think uh-huh. so. Like, I think we can all agree that that's not how any team, like, let's pretend for a moment that you're a team that would want Alec Manoa. You wouldn't want him because you think he's a good fifth starter. No. Like, you would want him because you think you know why this season went sideways and you think he's a cool reclamation project who could be a big, big part of what you do going forward because the Blue Jays probably think that he could be a big, big part of what you do going forward. I'm not saying that no player, that a player is off limits or can't be traded, but the Blue Jays would have to be so colossally stupid to sell Manoa at this very, very low ebb unless they truly believe that he is just not... There's just no way they're coming. He's coming back, and this is the last chance to recoup any value. And the, I don't know the way things work in baseball, where guys can have a year, a year and a half, where they're really off, and then bounce all the way back. It just—I don't think anyone believe. Like it would be a truly wild belief on the Blue Jays' <laughs> behalf if they thought, "Oh, you know what? Manoa is straight up done. Forget it. Let's let's give him." To anyone who wants a fifth starter, because that's all he is, and we'll get some mid-level prospect like that. I don't know. I, and again, like you can, there's a lot of content out there. Not all the content's good, but that made some rounds and made some blog headlines this week. And I just, I couldn't really fathom it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know what? It'll get JP another uh, another hit on a radio station. So that's really what it's all about there. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, like ring ring hey ross will you uh will you sell you will you sell us your opening day starter for pennies on the dollar like uh it's not quite that simple but obviously yeah why why would the blue jays entertain uh entertain that when when obviously nobody knows who who he is what he's going to be going forward and or anything it just it, it it does not make a ton of sense and yeah i don't you know the team's like you say, that are going to be looking for them. It's like looking for guys like that are teams that are, you know, rebuilding teams that just need to fill innings and have an opportunity in a major league rotation to take on a guy like that who, you know, maybe you can flip him for something at the deadline if he, if he works out. And if he doesn't, well, you ate some innings and you, you wasted another year of stealing your fans' money and, and, and building those kids, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> um, but so, you know, I, yeah, I don't understand what like ringing off the hook is just wild yeah like what there there's not there's not going to be a market salivating for him unless teams think the blue jays really are you know done with him and also simultaneously that they know they can get something more out of him which you know i like i I, that's possible it's not entirely impossible but it just yeah it does not seem like that's how things work nor should they it's just that's not how valuation of talent works and the Blue Jays don't have a ton of long-term building blocks, right? Like Guerrero and Bichette may be young, but as they famously are not locked up for a long, long time. <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah. So Manoa is one of the very few players the Blue Jays have that they can have for the foreseeable future who won't cost you know tons of money, who, who could, again, he'd have to bounce back, create some surplus value. And now there is there are moments where – 
it's okay to sell a guy when he's not at the peak of his value because you think he's only going down. And, you know, Austin Martin is kind of one where I think of here where when he was traded uh, to the Twins in the Barrios deal, he probably wasn't at the height of what he'd been worth in terms of, you know, around the majors when he was, you know, coming out of the draft, people thought some that he was like the best player, best hitter or whatever. And when the Blue Jays traded him, you know, he was showing, you know, not much power in double A and there was reason to be skeptical. And I think they kind of believe like, let's get, let's use him as a big piece now because we don't necessarily think he's headed in the right direction. Um, you know, he's doing okay at triple A now, but he, you know, he's 20, He's 24 now, et cetera. Well, like there are situations, but when a guy has been at the level that Manoa has been at and he's at the level that he's at now, he's just such a confusing piece that it, yeah, it makes no sense. There's almost, almost any other player on the Blue Jays roster would make for a more logical trade piece. In fact, I think that's literally true. I think all of them would. Yeah, maybe not Vlad, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Because that's a similar situation. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit less extreme. People, for, fortunately, people yes. forget that he's Vladdy's like been an above average hitter. I'm, I'm not saying by any means that he's met expectations, but he's been a, like a functional player in a lineup who is helpful to scoring runs. And in fact, he's been oh. good with men on base and in scoring position. And his defense <laughs> is not nearly as bad as the metrics seem to believe, or at least I don't think it is. So whatever, this doesn't have to be. <laughs> I, remember, I remember all those scouting reports from 2018. Functional player yeah. can hold his place in a lineup. <laughs> I'm, again, I fair. Like the bar is different for him, but like Manoa was not a functional player who could hold his place in the major no. leagues. Uh, and Vladdy has, has been at least that. And we'll see uh, what happens with him going forward. One guy, and a massive slugger that I do want to touch on a little bit before we get out of here, is uh, Davis Schneider. Now, I know that we've had, you know, we've had the Davis Schneider episode. He's never going to be more famous than he was a little bit ago. But it is a little bit odd what's happened to him since, where the guy has, you know, he had the three incredible games, then he played four more games, and at that point, really since stopped getting playing time so we're recording on august 23rd and since august 12th he's appeared in two games and in one of those games he hit a home run that ended up being very crucial to the result um i don't know if there needs to be some case of us absolutely banging the drum that you've got to get this guy in the lineup but it is a bit of a weird one where the blue jays have had you know, they've had trouble scoring runs and the guy is sitting on the bench and he did well at AAA and he had that nice little run there. And suddenly it seems like you just can't buy in a bat. This is true, though. He is in the lineup uh, for the game that as we're recording oh, is about to begin. Perfect. He's going right? to get like so, four dingers. Right. <laughs> and well, and then we'll see sound like geniuses for saying, yeah, they got to play that guy more, which, you know, I think the yeah, I mean, Espinal isn't doing a ton for you. Uh, they did go with Paul DeYoung for a while, as I seem to recall, uh, a dark chapter in all of our lives, which for him, his life has rebounded quite nicely, apparently. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, Biggio has hit really well and he's sort of, you know, I don't know how often they face lefties. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think part of the reason that, that we had heard that, you know, when they were calling up guys uh, like Ernie Clement earlier in the year or Spencer Horwitz, I guess different because it's from the other side, but uh, was that they kind of wanted guys like Schneider to keep getting regular at bats in AAA. And now they, they have him up. They don't need to necessarily have him up if they're not going to play him. The AAA's games are continuing to go on. Uh, 
Um, and yeah, they're not playing them. It is it 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 is a bit odd. I'm sure that it's you know it, it, it's sort of marginal roster stuff, right? Like I don't think that you know as as exciting as that debut was, you know, I don't know that we all have to believe that this is you know a, a difference making bat that they've sort of that sort of material that materialized out of nowhere. But also, uh, yeah, I, I could use finding out a little bit more before we. Uh, before we just decide he can sit on the bench the rest of the time. Uh, and maybe they're, maybe they're starting that process a little bit, but it's hard to, and we've seen this kind of all year in a frustrating way from them. It's like, you know, Nathan Lucas, like here's uh <laughs> like here, here's the best lefty in the league after you sat for 12 days in a row. Um, stuff like that kind of does sort of happen to those marginalized guys at the end of the bench. Um, and it's also probably a function. I think, you know, teams, Teams are missing those old days where they didn't have pitcher limits and they could be using the, those uh, roster spots on relievers. Like uh, they wouldn't even need that many guys on the bench if they uh, if they had their druthers. So maybe that's part of it too. But yeah, I mean, if he's here, you would like to see a little bit more of him. Um, you know, yeah, there's a good story right there for you. And you know, you give him a couple of games and it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it would be nicer to have seen more of him. Uh, before he just ended up in this situation where he hasn't played in, or has played twice in however many days. Yeah, and there are a couple of things that go into it. Like you mentioned, Biggio has been really good. That's part of it. They don't seem to want to take a bats away from Whit Merrifield. He's slowed down a little bit, but that's a leadoff, a leadoff hitter. hitter. It's, un- it's understandable. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Now that Springer seems to be coming around, I'm not sure that he needs to keep being the leadoff hitter. Um, again, whatever, fine. He's like he's not the biggest issue with the Blue Jays, but it does seem like they trust Schneider at second and left field, and then one of Biggio or Merrifield was eating up those spots at times when it looked like Schneider was going to maybe get a chance. Now you've got all the outfielders back. That makes left field even harder to get at bats at. And so he had played some third base in the minors. He could have played that. For Espinal, like there was a time when Espinal was playing a lot more third base than he probably wanted to see. But, you know, this is a guy who played 50 innings there in AAA this season. Maybe they just straight up don't trust him. And then this is the other thing with the Blue Jays is that for quite some time, they, you know, in the post Rowdy Telez pre Brandon Belt era, like they like to keep that DH spot somewhere they could rotate guys through, like, you know, Springer a lot of the time, but sometimes Vladdy, whoever. And as a result, it was much easier to make at bats for guys. And now that really mm-hmm. isn't the case anymore. Like you have to really, you know, kind of be locked in at a couple of, sp- of the spots that move around a little bit. But when, you know, belt playing as well as he's playing uh, is demanding, you know, pretty much every DH at bat against righties, you can throw at them. And, you know, they, they have all three outfielders in place. Now it is just, and the, the catchers occasionally can even step in and DH. It's just a lot harder than it used to be to find at bats for a guy. And it is a little bit unfortunate because he, uh, you know, even when he in those that run of games where he didn't really hit, like he was still taking his walks and having the odd yeah. good at bat. And what he's done AAA is really impressive. I don't know. Like I like you said, this is fringe stuff. It's probably not going to make the difference. But as we go down the stretch here, like we're in a very tight race for the Blue Jays and. Every little thing makes a difference, and this is uh, this one's a little bit odd to me that he hasn't been able to carve out a little bit more. Yeah, I think I, I think that's accurate, and also you know, 
you'd like to find, maybe get a little bit more of a handle of what he is at the big league level going into next year too, right? I mean, there are there are holes to be filled on this roster, and and uh, I don't know have have they seen enough to you know start him in opening day on opening day next year, or or at least have him on the bench in the big leagues, or is it are his is his triple A career done? Um, possible but you know i would feel more comfortable about it if it wasn't just you know a handful of games you know spaced out by several days and they still have time a little bit to do that but uh you know and all these games are really you know intense obviously at this point um but yeah at some point you really want to get a run out of him and, and see if he can you know, take the bull by the horns and and you know do the things that you know we've seen that he can he can do he can he, can, he has a little bit of pop he has uh, the ability to take a good at bat he can take a walk um yeah not, not you know nobody's calling him babe ruth but uh but yeah i think giving him a little bit more of a shot would make some sense all right we're gonna leave it there it will be very interesting to see what happens on wednesday night with david schneider because that could uh could add a new flavor to this conversation so we will be with you again next week we appreciate everyone who is leaving reviews rating doing all that stuff and we will talk to you then 